So we've made it through the first day, which for those of you who this is your first retreat is no small thing. And we've been increasingly asking you to tune into the body, to be more and more aware of the breath and the body, and turn the attention inwards to kind of re-inhabit as we settle down. And it isn't so easy because we're sensory beings and all of our six sense doors are continually being impinged upon by sights and sounds and sensations and thoughts and moods that are all coming at us and impacting us. So there's this flow of contracting and relaxing and opening over and over. And it's not an easy thing to be in touch with reality. Um, And in fact, Lily Tomlin once said, I made a study of reality and I found it was the leading cause of stress amongst those in touch with it. (laughs) And so with all I have to do, I had to give something up. And so we're asking you to be more in touch with it and that's challenging. The Buddha um, left his family and... Um, began his spiritual practice and spent the first years of his practice subduing and struggling with his body and his mind, doing many austere practices. And in fact, often we come to spiritual practice wanting to transcend our body and transcend our mind. And probably after today you can relate to that, just wanting to transcend it all. But what the Buddha found when he came to awakening, was that um, the path to freedom didn't involve turning away from all of that, but turning towards it, actually moving into and exploring all the things that he'd been trying to get rid of. That the key to liberation was actually within the body, the feelings, the thoughts, all the mind states, was actually in contemplating those and really exploring them, going into them. That the insight and freedom was part of life, was awakening into life, not moving away from life. So the heart of these insight practices, the very heart of them, the core of them, that's taught throughout most Buddhist traditions, I think all Buddhist traditions, are the four foundations of mindfulness. The mindfulness of body, and mindfulness of the feeling tone of experience, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, of mind states, emotions, thoughts, and then mindfulness of the things, the particular states that lead to liberation, and the ones that are obstacles to liberation. So those are the four foundations of mindfulness. And the Buddha said, this is the direct path for the purifications of beings the direct path that leads to freedom, liberation, freedom from suffering, and to Nibbana. And so tonight, I'd like to begin to explore mindfulness, particularly mindfulness of the body. Right mindfulness is coming accord with the truth, actually knowing what's present, free from our ideas, our concepts, our beliefs about it, and that's called bare attention, direct seeing. So it's cultivating a clear and stable awareness so that we can see what's true, that non-judging, open attention. And it's very simple. So just pay attention to your body right now. Suppose you feel the body is heavy and there's the, your heartbeat is kind of going kaboom, kaboom. Kaboom. And there's just this heaviness. And the mind might label that tired. I wish I could go to bed. I can't wait for this evening to be over. So the bare experience is just the heaviness in the body, the slow heart rate, the kind of spaciness. And then we add all those other things, and we sometimes believe all the different stories. Or maybe the heart rate is very fast and there's a kind of fluttery feeling in the body 
and the mind labels it anxiety and fear and I can't sit still. So the bare experience is just the sensations that we're experiencing right now. Another example um, of a woman who had a lot of problems with anxiety and um, anxiety attacks. And she described how when she first went to learn to ski, she came down the bunny slope and she was terrified. Her heart was pounding and she was sweating. She thought it was awful and she was having a really unpleasant time. And someone else in the class, she saw this other woman coming down the slopes going, wee, having a wonderful time. And they went up on the chair together and she said, I wish I could be like you. You're having such a, you know, look like you're having such a great time. And the woman said to her, oh, isn't it wonderful? My heart's pounding. I'm all sweaty. And, <laughs> and so the, the woman with anxiety looked at her and realized she was describing exactly the same physical sensations. One of them was calling it excitement and fun, and the other one was calling them something terrible is about to happen. And so mindfulness is seeing just the bare experience before we layer all our assumptions over it. The Buddha instructed in the foundations of mindfulness the monks and the nuns to be ardent, alert, mindful, to have this quality of alertness and wide awakeness, to have mindful attention. And it was a um, specific quality of attention that was curious and interested. Um, and clearly knowing. And from our brain studies now, we know that that quality of attention that's awake and curious and interested is what releases serotonin in the brain. And that, um, and it's, it also makes the mind able to form new neural pathways, so it enhances learning. And so the Buddha all those years ago knew that too that when you have this particular quality of attention and awakeness, it's possible to transform the mind. And so we're having more and more confirmation of that, and here we're, we're directly experiencing it for ourselves. So it's a combination and a balance of curiosity and interest and relaxation. And these are the parts of our practice that we're really exploring here. There, there are three baskets of, of our meditation, and we introduced um, sila when we talked about the precepts last night. That's a way of living that's non-harming, shada letters in the precepts. The middle basket that I'm talking about tonight and we'll be doing all retreat has concentration and effort and mindfulness in it. And it's the balance of all those three that really enhances mindfulness. So mindfulness and concentration are like partners. Mindfulness provides the interest, the curiosity, and concentration provides the power. So the concentration is like the focusing, and the mindfulness is what looks through the lens and sees what's there. And we need both of them in balance in order to see clearly. So just to talk a little bit more about mindfulness, because it's a word we use so much in our culture. There was an article in the New York Times a while ago where, um, because mindfulness has now been introduced in the schools, as many of you know, and someone asked a fifth grade class to tell, tell them what mindfulness was. And this one child says, Mindfulness means not hitting someone in the mouth. (laughs) And so, really, what that's speaking to is that if we can know what we're feeling when we're feeling it, rather than ten consequential actions later, there's a possibility of acting wisely. So that it combines both the bare attention and something really important, understanding. So we're not just paying attention to calm down, but we're also paying attention in order to understand. So there's those two aspects of mindfulness, the seeing and the understanding. Both are equally important. Often when we 
mindfulness is talked about in this culture, it's as a stress balancer. Um, I teach mindfulness-based stress reduction, and sometimes I'll get called by um, some company or some CEO, and what they want is for me to come in and teach mindfulness to their employees so they'll be more calm and they'll perform more efficiently so that they won't get sick as often and have you know that, that kind of reason for why mindfulness is being presented. And, um, or maybe it's so that we can have more pleasant moments. We can really be present for our pleasant moments if we're more mindful. Again, this is some years ago, the magazine Tricycle on the back cover for quite a number of months had a picture of a gold Buddha um, statue in the middle of a big pile of gold coins. And so I was drawn to that and I looked at this small print and this is what it says. As students of the world's ancient wisdom tradition, we employ mindfulness to avoid behaviors which cause most investors to underperform market benchmarks. And so that's not exactly what the Buddha had in mind. And mindfulness can be thought of that way. What the Buddha had in mind was that it's a direct path to freedom from needing to outperform the market benchmarks. Freedom from needing to fulfill our desires rather than freedom to get all our desires fulfilled. So there's a really important difference. It's not just a path to be fully present in our daily life so we can really be there for all of our life in a less reactive way, but it's also a path that gradually dissolves the barriers that are preventing us from fully developing our wisdom, our clear seeing, and our freedom. So both those pieces are important. So it's knowing what we observe and coming to understanding it. So our mind is full of awareness, mindfulness, mindful of awareness, rather than thoughtful, full of thoughts, or um, um, storyful, full of stories, but full of awareness. And sometimes people are a little bit uncertain about the difference between mindfulness and awareness. And I liked this from a teacher, um, Tin Tin. She says, Mindfulness implies action of mind. Awareness is devoid of any action. The mind simply awares. There's only ac- the, no action here, only a collected and spontaneous awareness that sees, that just sees. So mindfulness is the cause and awareness is the effect. And we start with mindfulness so that awareness might arise in us. So it's a very simple non-doing but being. We're balancing being and doing with our practice of mindfulness. So it isn't about trying to change who we are. Sometimes we can come in and do project meditation. We've come in with ways we want to be different in the world. But this is much more about seeing clearly who we actually are and seeing what happens as we pay attention to that, how things change, what unfolds, without interfering in any way. There's a, um, an analogy the Buddha uses of um, the causes of suffering are like knots and tangles in a tangled thread or in a bird's nest. And mindfulness untangles the tangles. But the knots and tangles of our judgings and doings and opinions and projects and wishes and imaginings um, become undone simply by paying attention mindfully. It's as though just by being there, the tangles start to untangle on their own. And that's been my experience over and over again. So I've just been with a difficult situation. It's like it just starts to separate out and become clearer and clearer. Whereas if I get in there and I start pulling on one end or tugging on another end, it gets tighter and tighter. 
So we're neither repressing nor resisting. We're simply allowing whatever's here. It's relaxed, receptive, and yet there's a gentle persistence. We keep coming back. We've encouraged you to keep staying and staying. Each time you get lost and confused, to just keep staying with it. The other thing is it's mirror-like. It's like a mirror. So it's reflecting everything that's here. It's inclusive. So absolutely everything is revealed in the mirror. But because it's a mirror, we really get to see it's not real. The mirror is changing all the time. This image comes and then it's gone. This image comes and then it's gone. Every moment is a fresh start. So we don't need to be as afraid of what mindfulness shows us in the mirror because it's always changing. And the other thing too is the mirror doesn't judge. It just shows what's there. The mirror might reveal that the mind has made a judgment, but mindfulness itself doesn't judge. It simply reveals. The word sati, the sati is the word for mindfulness in Pali, and it's to hold something in awareness. And I like the Chinese characters for sati. When the Chinese translated the word sati, they had two characters. The top half means the present moment, and the bottom half is heart. So it's the, the present moment is held in the heart. So there's that kindness um, and gentleness that comes with mindfulness. Ajahn Chah, one of the teachers of our lineage, describes it as everything occurs within the heart. The heart holds whatever arises in it. So there's this kindness, softness, spaciousness that allows and is present for whatever comes. The more able we are to tolerate seeing what's true, even if it's difficult, we're learning how to attend to experience with this kind and wakeful and contactful presence. We're not removed. We're fully in contact with what's here. And we can include sensing, knowing, feeling, observing, and because we've done that, fully understanding. And that's the doorway to our freedom. So the first part of our mindfulness practice, in fact, the most fundamental and important part of it, is mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the breath. One of the, uh, one of the teachers, Mark Epstein, in one of his books, talks about coming out of your head and back to your senses. So it's that returning to embodiment. In fact, mindfulness of the breath all on its own can lead to full awakening. And there's a whole sutta um, that teaches that. And many people over the world practice anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing. So the breath is a wonderful way of collecting our attention in and finding a path to come to stillness and clear seeing. It's our ally, our friend, that gathers us in from all the distractions. And we can learn to use it in that way, to pay attention to the breath in the breath, the Buddha says. And what does he mean by that? Well, just be aware of your breathing right now. You don't have to close your eyes, but just notice the breath for a moment. You might be aware of what I'm saying, but you can also be aware of the breath. And then just pay attention a little more closely. There's the thoughts about the breath, and then there's the actual felt sense about it. You might be aware of tingling at the nose, or a vibration in the belly. You might be aware that it's shallow, or that it's deep. You might be aware that the breath is pleasant, or that you're controlling it. So becoming intimate with the actual experience of the breath. And we practice doing that continually during the day 
as a way of gently building our mindfulness and helping the mind settle. And as we do so, we start to see how things change. The breath is never the same. It's changing all the time. Sometimes it's shallow, sometimes deep, and it starts to show us a little bit about our experience. And we can use the breath to bring calmness. So just for a moment, just take a deeper breath in and just have the sense of bathing the whole body with the breath. You might find it easier to close your eyes to do that. Almost as though you were breathing in and could breathe in through the top of the head and let the breath bathe the whole body. And when I do that, I'm aware of the vibration in my body. And I was aware that I was holding my body a little um, tightly or stiffly. And that as I breathed out, I relaxed more into the chair. And I slowed down a little, which felt a lot more comfortable. So now actually I feel a little more present. And so we can use the breath in this way. Sometimes we can use the breath and breathing in aware of the body, breathing out calming. So the breath brings a steadiness and a calm, as though we're breathing in calming energy and with the out-breath releasing distraction or tension or irritation. So as the mind starts to settle down with the breath, we become more and more in the present moment and less and less leaning into the future or being caught in the past. It helps us settle in that way. And we start to notice the areas of tension and holding. Sometimes as we're um, experiencing the breath, and some of you talked about this today, you started getting really sleepy. When you take these long out-breaths, it's very soporific. And usually we do that when we're going to bed at night, and so there's this long, slow out-breath and gone. And so it can help to use the breath to bring more energy. So deeper in-breaths are energizing, slower out-breaths are relaxing. So you can breathe in and energize, and breathe out and relax. And for those of you who like the biology of it, the breathing in deeply activates the sympathetic nervous system so you're more awake, and the breathing out slowly and deeply activates the parasympathetic so we calm down and relax. So there's just the nervous system gets balanced using the breath. So this relaxed attention is calming and steadying and balancing. And the mind needs that in order to be able to be with what's difficult. And so that's why we start with the breath, so we can build some stability for our practice. And also, it establishes a kind of firm boundary. We kind of um, create a little bit of a container so the mind can't go off in different directions. Another analogy some people like is that of a sentry guarding the gates of a big castle. And the sentry is only allowing in the in-breath and the out-breath. And everything else is um, not allowed in for a little while. And the qualities you want in a good sentry are that they stay awake, they don't fall asleep on the job, and that they're kind and courteous. They don't sort of you know, reject anybody or kick anybody out. They just say, no, just the breath right now. And they're very present. And so some people find that analogy helpful as a way of bringing the mind to calmness. So the breath, of course, is a bridge to the body, the center of our mindfulness practice these first few days. And the Buddha says, there's one thing when cultivated and regularly practiced that leads to deep spiritual intention, peace, mindfulness, clear comprehension, vision, 
knowledge and a happy life here and now, and to the cultivation and accumulation of wisdom and liberation. And what is that one thing? It's mindfulness centered on the body. So it's the body of awakening, the body of full presence, aliveness, fullness, stability. Our head has all the ideas, our heart has the passion about them, and our body is what enacts them. And it's by being fully present in our bodies that we can align this body, mind, and heart and come to balance. The body metabolizes our experiences, and as we begin to pay attention throughout the day, we start to feel that and sense that in the body. And it's a very um, subjective experience. We're so used to thinking of the body in objective terms, what it looks like, what we feed it. We take it for walks and we exercise it, but not very often when we're in it. We might go to do a workout, but our mind is full of plans and stories. Or maybe we go to a yoga class and our head is still full of plans and stories. But this is really directly experiencing our body, sensing it as we're moving it. So it's the felt, non-conceptual sense, just the experience. So let's explore that for a few moments. You can close your eyes or you can keep them open. Either is fine. But just drop your attention for a moment into your belly. Just completely put your attention in your belly. You might be aware of the belly rising and falling. a fullness or pressure. (laughs) And then let the awareness flow down into your legs. If you're in a chair, to your feet on the floor. Just a sense of the contact with the earth, the cushion. Just with a relaxed attention, So you're receiving the sensations, vibration, pressure, tingling. That's the quality of the sensations. Just being with your experience, free from any concepts about it. You might notice that there are a lot of different sensations all over the body if you let your attention spread to the whole body now. You might notice that some of them are pleasant and some are unpleasant. And now put your attention on a sensation that's a little bit stronger than some of the others. Let your attention go there. Notice if it changes as you pay attention to it. And if you don't have very many strong sensations, just noting the subtle changes, the subtle movements of contraction or expansion. Just keep noticing what happens as you pay attention to the sensations. Now notice the boundary of your body. Can you tell where your body ends and the space around you begins? Just having this sense of the body as a process rather than a thing. And a knowing of this process of sensations coming and going, movement, not so solid, 
can let your eyes open if you like, or you can keep them closed. And see as I continue to talk, if part of your attention can stay with your body a little bit. So you don't completely lose the connection with your body. Some of you talked about today that you noticed while you were with um, the walking practice or the sitting practice, your mind would be with the breath, and at the same time, it would be chattering away. And there was this kind of split. And so that happens, this foreground and background. And we start to be able to notice, oh, the thoughts and stories are in the foreground, and I've lost completely the body. So you can use... This is where you use your focusing, your concentration a little bit, and you just bring the focus in a little bit more clearly, almost as though you were turning a dial, and you have, um, you bring your attention to your breath and your body more, so they become more foreground. And so you just notice, oh, thoughts are in the foreground, oh, body is in the foreground. So right now you might notice that sometimes there's words are in the foreground, there's hearing, sometimes the sensations, um, and just being aware of that, that kind of mindfulness of all that's here. It's very healing to be with the body just as it is. And as you continue to be with your body, see if you can bring a kind attention to how the body is. Some of you noticed as you paid attention to your body, that it was feeling very uncomfortable, and you skillfully moved to a chair. So that was clear comprehension. (laughs) Mindfulness of the discomfort, and then an action resulted, so you could be more present. Um, And so we want to be kind to our bodies. And again, without closing your eyes, just notice what's my attitude to my body right now. Is it one of kindness or of rejection of some way that my body is? In our culture, there's a lot of rejection often of our bodies, especially when they're ill or they hurt. I've got my stupid head hurts or my stupid back hurts. Our bodies have betrayed us in some way if they don't work the way we want them to. So this is bringing a kind attention. Then the other part of it is, is as we start to pay attention to the sensations, we begin to notice what the mind is doing with that. How is the mind receiving it? Is it resisting how the breath and the body are? When that happens, they get more tense. The tension increases. If we want to be calm when we're not, usually that makes us more agitated. But if we can... Um, If we can allow agitation to be here and have kindness for it, then often calm will come. I was um, standing in the... When when we went down to breakfast this morning, um, as I came down, the doors were still open, so I was standing in the doorway so I could see um, the the breakfast bell, and I was aware of the back half of me feeling really cold. And so the cook that was ringing the bell was being extremely slow and mindful of ringing the bell. And so I could feel my body contracting. And part of, and until I was aware of it, I was just... Arr! And then I realized there's this part of me that was going, hurry up and ring the bell, I'm freezing. And so then it was just that allowing, oh, it's okay, it's just cold. And I could be with the feelings and the sensations of coldness and see how having the irritation about it was making me even more uncomfortable. And so we can be with the sensations and see the effect of the reaction to the sensation. I'm sure that there are many people in the hall who have been dying for the bell to ring today at some point. And you'll notice how your body gets more and more tense. When are they going to ring the bell? Um, And often when the bell is rung, there's this sense of relief and you feel you could sit for another five minutes. And it was the waiting, the tension and the energy that was trapped in resisting that that was what was uncomfortable. 
And so we're learning to be with the energies with kindness and see what happens as we pay attention to them. So if there are difficult sensations, we bring a kind attention and we see what happens as we continue to pay attention to it. Sometimes it will get more intense for a little while and then sometimes it will gradually start to soften and ease. And sometimes when things are very intense and tight and really painful and uncomfortable, we can bring in breath and breathe into those sensations or sometimes bring our attention to some part of the body that's not so uncomfortable or even go to sound so we're being skillful we're not forcing ourselves to be with something and get into a struggle so that's the um, if there's some kind of a struggle that's a feedback that says I'm resisting something I'm tensing against something, and the body kind of shows us that. It shows us some resistance going on here. So it's important that we're not paying attention to sensations in order for them to go away. We're paying attention to understand what's going on, to see the connection between the sensations and how the mind's perceiving it, the sensation and the mental reaction to it. And then we can bring some friendliness and caring and compassion to how it actually is. Suzuki Roshi says, Pay attention with respect and interest, not in order to manipulate, but to understand what's true. And in seeing what's true, the heart becomes free. The other thing we see as we practice mindfulness of the body is that the body is a storehouse, really, for all the things that have happened to us in our lives. There's all these different layers of tension that have accumulated over our lives. All the habit patterns are stored in the body. And as we start to sit, some of that starts to loosen and untangle. And as Howie was talking, I think, last night, it's a purification process. And the Buddha said, the purification of all beings is what happens. And it's not a bad thing. It's a healing, transforming things. Because as they start to loosen, we start to understand some of the patterns. Sometimes it's a spontaneous release and we're not really conscious of what it is that we're releasing. You might notice the body will jerk or there'll be some feeling of tension and heat and then it will go away. And it's not an archaeological dig. We don't need to figure out all the time what it is that got released, just to allow the releasing. Sometimes it'll be clear what's going on, what the tension in the shoulders is about, but we don't need to figure it out, more just to bring a kind attention to it and know that with kindness there's a releasing. If we struggle against it and try to get rid of it, It just creates more tension around it. So really, this paying attention to the body is really a wonderful window into our inner life. We just start to see all the things that, um, all the ways that we contract and resist, we get to notice and see. It's a, um, a reflection, tension, something's going on. Often when we have aversion or anger about something, there's a feeling of pushing in the body. If we're in a place of wanting and longing, there's a kind of pulling towards or needing feeling. If we're com- feeling confused or agitated, there's a kind of you know, energy swirling feeling. So all these, we get to know as we sit here, um, our bodies tell us what's going on. They give us a sense or an indication. I find often... Um, that there's a subtle leaning into the next moment and it's as though my my center of gravity is off and I can feel that. I'm leaning into the next thing that I'm going to say and if I can remember to relax back, there's more of an allowing things to unfold. Sometimes you feel like you're leaning into the past and so we can sense our, our center of gravity 
and can we be balanced in the present moment? And it comes and goes, and that's fine. It's just to see how it is. Sometimes there's the movement of resistance or rejecting, sometimes of allowing and opening, and we see the flow between the two. The Buddha said again and again, everything we need to realize in the world is found within our bodies. And he said, within this very fathom-long body, with its perception, its inner sense, lies the world, the cause of the world, the cessation of the world, and the path that leads to the cessation of the world. And that's really the Four Noble Truths. And we'll be talking about that more in the next few days. And so everything we need to know, that's why it's so important, these first few days of practice. Even if it feels like, what on earth am I doing here? This is extremely uncomfortable and not very pleasant and confusing. How can it possibly be any use to sit here and walk day after day? But it is. It's really valuable what we're building. And it builds little by little and drop by drop. And we can't know how it's benefiting us as we're doing it. And it isn't easy. Mindfulness sees everything, so it includes the frustrations. If we're feeling frustrated, it's not a bad thing. It's just to know that. It recognizes that frustration is here. Frustration is like this. We're present for everything, and everything becomes the gateway to freedom. The practice isn't just about being with the breath. It's understanding what's pulled us away from the breath. What's that like? and what's happening right now. All we have to do is be mindful of what's happening. That's all. And so we, we explore mindfully all the different postures, walking, sitting, lying down, standing, eating, sleeping. Nothing is excluded. And it's a beautiful practice. We can do it anywhere, whatever we do. This is from Ajahn Man. And his picture is in the gratitude hut with the picture of all the teachers. And I think this quote is there with it. In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature. See the elements that comprise it. See the impermanence, the suffering, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking or lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth, timeless, undelivered. So that's timeless, undelivered. So really to allow that possibility of just being in the body. Are you in your body right now? And if you're not, what's taking you away from your body? Maybe your full attention is on the words and on listening. Maybe your attention is on, I'm dying to go to bed, (laughs) or some other story. It's fine, whatever it is, but just to know that that's what's happening. All we have to do is to know what's happening. So absolutely everything we do, we can bring this same sense of knowing. To just over and over again, what am I aware of in the body right now? Am I thinking? Am I lost in thought? What's the attitude in the mind? Is it rejecting experience or is it allowing experience? What does that feel like in the body? When I'm rejecting, it feels like this. When I'm allowing, it feels like this. Just this continual exploration of all the different things that happen in our experience. When you're having a cup of tea, to really be present with a cup of tea, the taste and the smells, all the different senses, the seeing, the tasting, the feeling of liquid, 
the Buddha included in the foundations of mindfulness many different aspects of the body. The body internally and the body externally. So this all the things, the air moving into the body, the air moving out of the body. One of the teachings um, that I find really useful includes the elements of earth, air, fire, and water. So the earth element in the body is the solidity. So we can be aware of the solidity of the body, the solid muscles and bones, and really sense that. You can sense that now, that solidity, fully being in the solidity of your body. Then pay attention to the solidity of the earth beneath you. Be aware of the earth element internally, and then the earth element externally beneath you. And then see if you can be aware of both, internally and externally, that solidity. You might want to do that when you're out walking. You might even explore and touch a tree and be aware of the earth element internally, externally, and both. Sensing, sensing the body fully, being fully alive. Same with the air element as you breathe. The air element externally becomes the air element internally. And you can feel that movement so that we're not so separate from the environment. Many other cultures, many of the older cultures, um, people weren't so separate from the environment. There was more fluidity. And we can begin to sense that and use it to help our practice. The fire element is the temperature of the body, the warmth or the coolness. You might feel that now. Notice the temperature of the body, the metabolizing of the body. Sometimes the emotion of anger brings heat to the body. Um, and then there's the element of um, water, which is that sense of fluidity. All the liquid element, the blood in the body and all the fluids in the body. When you're having a cup of tea, you can explore the water element externally, becoming water element internally, and both. One of the useful parts of exploring the elements is that sometimes we can have very intense energy in the body. It might be the intense energy of anxiety or of a restlessness or something, this very intense energy in the body. And when we put our attention on the on outside the body and have a sense of not having to contain everything in this body, it gives more space. So we can allow that energy to fill the room or to take up more space, and it's not as contained. And that helps balance the energy internally and externally. So you can explore that. Or we can be in contact with the grounding energy of the earth, just like the Buddha did on the night of his awakening when he was assailed by the, all the different enemies of Mara, um, of all the different fears and uh, furies and temptations and all these things. He put his hand on the earth and took refuge in the earth, the stability of the earth. And so we can do that too. We can have that sense of our bodies not being so solid and permanent and unchanging, but being more open to all of life. So this has been a long day, so I think I'd like to bring this to a close, but just to, um, just to say that um, you can use any of the senses to be mindful of. And the breath is really valuable in bringing balance, becoming intimate with the breath. We can explore the sensations as they come and go and change. And we can notice that the mirror of mindfulness is fresh over and over. This is really helpful to remember. Every moment is a new beginning. It helps us not get disheartened. We don't have to carry all the difficult sittings from the rest of the day as baggage with us. Each moment is a new beginning. 
So the mirror of mindfulness is always over and over renewing and refreshing and unfolding. And that whatever the mind is aware of is our mindfulness practice. If we're having moments of staying with the breath, that's how it is. If we're having moments of wandering and getting lost and getting confused, that's how it is. It's okay. We bring a kind attention to whatever is happening. So I'll end with this um, from Ajahn Chah again. So when we stay with the mindfulness, patiently, persistently, kindly, coming back over and over again, he says, your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will see clearly the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So that's what I wish for you, that you find stability, kindness, and calm amidst all the comings and goings of these next few days. Thank you for your mindful attention and for the moments of unmindfulness. And um, it's time for walking practice. And if you're really exhausted and it's been a long day, take care of your body. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.